Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Victory Life Church. My name is Peter Knotts. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, Special welcome if you are new to our church. Thank you for coming to worship with us. We'd love to get connected with you. Uh, If you're looking for a home church, you can fill out one of the communication cards. Those will be on the backs of the seats in front of you. Uh, And if you bring that over to our welcome desk, we can... uh, give you a free gift, and then we can follow up with you as well. Uh, We'd love to hear about how we can be praying for you uh, and how you can get connected with our congregation. At our church, we talk about our our vision is pointing people to Jesus who can rewrite every life story. And so in everything we do, we want to point people to Jesus, whether that's our worship services that you'll experience today or our life groups, our youth ministry, our children's ministry. We want to be about pointing people to Jesus. So we hope that you are uh, feel like you've been pointed to Jesus through our service today, and we invite you to join us uh, in that vision as you are part of our church. If you are worshiping online today, don't worry, I didn't forget you. Um, Thanks for worshiping with us. We're glad to have you. Uh, And we would invite you as well to fill out one of our welcome cards, Uh, but it is a digital form of that card. So uh, you can go to our website, vlchurch.com, and there is a banner at the top that says new here. You can click on that, fill that out, and we'll get connected with you that way. So two announcements for you today. The first is that we have our Vision Sunday and our uh, annual church picnic coming up on August 27th. So the picnic will be right after second service. We will head up together to the pavilion out back here and have a time of food and fun and fellowship, just celebrating the Lord's faithfulness to our church over the years uh, that we have been together. And then we also have our Vision Sunday on the 27th, and we intentionally put both of those together on the same day uh, because the Vision Sunday is a day when we announce what we feel like the Lord has put on our heart for the next year uh, in the vision of our church. And so we want to celebrate the past and also celebrate the future. So Vision Sunday and our annual picnic will be on the 27th. Second announcement is for men's retreat from September 8th through the 10th. Guys, you will not want to miss out on this. It is a fantastic time together, especially if you are new to our church. It's a great time to meet other men in our church. So this is both for men and uh, for dudes who are in the youth group, who are teenagers. We would love to have you come out. Uh, Pastor or, or Elder Bill Anderson told me that it's a great chance to see Pastor Matt in his natural habitat. I have no idea what that means. You might find out later, you might not, I don't know, but there you go. Um, But yeah, it's a great chance to get outdoors. Uh, You can shoot some guns if you're into that, go hiking, play cards, have campfires. You'll you'll hear testimonies from other men in our church of how the Lord has worked in their life. And so we would love to have you come out for that. The signups will be starting next Sunday. Once again, that's September 8th through the 10th, and the cost will be $95 for the whole weekend. Now is the part of our service where we transition to uh, our worship through giving. Um, So we know that we worship God not just through singing, right? But worship is our complete response to God. It's our response to who he is and to what he has done. And so when we are giving, we are acknowledging, God, all of this is yours. We are just caretakers of this money that you have allowed us to have in this time. And so we give it back to you. We acknowledge that you are Lord. You are owner. And so if you have um, offering or tithe to give today, you can give that by text. 
You can give that online through our website, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary today. Thank you for giving to support the work of Jesus through our church. Next, we're going to have a time of worship through singing, another way of responding to God. So I want to invite you to stand and pray with me as we get ready to worship through singing. Lord, your word says that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, that when we experience blessings, they come from you. And so, Lord, I know some of us may be coming in today, Lord, and we're, we're feeling grateful. We can see all the ways that you have blessed us. And so we turn to you in worship and we thank you for those blessings. But some others might be feeling uh, burdened, might be feeling anxious, might be just feeling like there's a lot going on right now, Lord. And we also, if we are in that place, Lord, we turn to you and we choose to acknowledge how you have blessed us. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit leading us, directing us, inhabiting us. Thank you for uh, time and time again when you have given us second chances. Lord, we worship you for who you are. We worship you for what you have done. May this time of worship be honoring to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship this morning. Here we go. There's a fountain I know where blessings overflow, where living water runs free from the mercy seat. There's a joy I know deep inside my bones, a never-ending well where I thirst no more. Rejoice my soul, come on, rejoice, rejoice my soul, sing and praise the Lord, Jesus came for me, set me on my feet and now I'm singing, praise the Lord, by the power of his name, I'm free and unashamed so I keep singing, praise the Rejoice my soul, rejoice, rejoice my soul, sing and praise the Lord, yes. Jesus came for me, he set me on my feet and now I'm singing, always praise the Lord, by the power of his name, I'm free and unashamed so I keep Life that day, 
on Calvary. But the grave couldn't hold him, and it can't hold me. I'm alive in Christ. He's alive in me.
We sing of your victory today, Jesus. We sing of your work on the cross. And we declare that together one more time. There's victory. There's victory in the cross. I'm breaking free. All my chains are gone and I will sing until my lungs give out. I'm gonna shout now that I've found victory. Thank you, Jesus. When I look at my life and I look at everything that I did before Jesus, I see failure and failure and failure. But when I look at my life post-Jesus coming in in his cross and the work of that cross, I recognize that I have victory. And there's a reason to sing this morning. The reason to sing is because of his work on the cross, his salvific work for you and me. You see, praise is an outward expression. Worship can happen in the heart, but praise has to be expressed. And that's why I sing till my lungs give out. That's why I shout, because I want to show God and Jesus just how grateful and thankful I am for the work he's done on the cross. I'm no longer held by sin anymore. The weight the curse, the shame no longer holds me down. You're going to hear more about that this morning from Pastor Matt, but sin no longer has a hold on us because of what Jesus has done. And that's a reason to worship and a reason to praise. So let's continue to thank him and worship this morning for his work on the cross. from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt
Till that stone was moved for good For the Lamb had conquered death And the dead rose from their tombs Lord, the redemption and rebirth that each one of us needed in this life was granted to us that day on the cross. Everything we need for life and salvation happened in a three-day span of human history. It resonates today. Its effects are powerful today. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we worship you in this place through song and through giving and through the word, that we would know just how powerful your work was, is, and will be. We pray all these things in your matchless name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. Well, welcome once more to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. And uh, it's just a thrill to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning. But before we do that, I'm going to invite the children to be dismissed for young disciples. You can go on down the hall, get a message that is intended just for you. If you're new here to Victory Life, our children's church program is beginning right now. And your kids are welcome to follow this gaggle of children down the hall. And you can pick them up in our South Sanctuary after the service. For those of you who remain with us this morning, we are in a summer-long series in the Book of Romans. And I invite you to turn today to Romans chapter 6, 
Now, for those of you who have read your Bible before, you know that there's far more than six chapters to the book of Romans, and with school shopping and back-to-school shopping going on right now, you might be thinking, is this a fall-long series as well? It is not. In fact, we're going to wrap up in Romans chapter 8 in just a few weeks with Pastor Peter, so we have always intended to go Romans 1 through 8 and talk about the good, good news. What is it that makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so wonderful and so powerful? Well, Today we're going to do something a little bit different because I'm going to talk to you about heresy. Da, da, da. Now, many of you are like, what is heresy? Heresy is a direct contradiction to the scripture. Something that is in direct contradiction to a truth about God. And there is a portion of the scripture and a portion of the truth of what Jesus has done by his gospel uh, and in his power on the cross, that that portion is often underpreached. It's underdelivered. There's a heresy that's working its way and has worked its way in the past 20 years through the church in the United States, and I want to speak to it, but speak to it on a positive level. Let's talk about what the truth is, not so much embrace the lie. Now, most of you know that a half-truth can be a pretty big lie. If I only give you half of the story, then, then you're not going to get the actual truth. Like, for instance, if I looked at you this morning and I said, a couple of years ago, my children challenged me to do a cartwheel, and I did one, and they said it was good, you might look at me and think, wow, he's a little more spry than I would have taken him for. But if I were to tell you the whole story, what they actually said was, wow, Dad, that was pretty good for a big guy. And then you would have a completely different vision in your mind of how my cartwheel played out, wouldn't you? Right? So you can begin to speak a truth, you can begin to tell a truth, but then you can massage it in a way that actually helps folks to embrace a lie. Well, here's the heresy, here's the lie, but it's true. What, what I'm about to say is true, but, but there needs to be a dot, 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 and more information tacked onto the end of the end. Here, here's the heresy, all right? We are all sinners, but God loves us anyway. You say, I, I agree with that. that. That's the truth. And that is the truth. But that truth needs context. That, that truth needs the other half of the equation for us to truly understand what we're talking about. Because if, if I look at you and say, we are all sinners and, and God loves us anyways, and I don't fill in any dots after that, well, all types of behavior that is unchristlike, that, that, is, that is not a reflection of the gospel, can take place. But if I were to say to you, we're all sinners, but God loves us anyways, to the point that he died on the cross to help us overcome our sin for eternity and to give us power to overcome sin in this life, then I've told you the whole truth. And that is the truth that Paul's going to convey to us in Romans chapter 6, that there is a power in the gospel that is incredibly underpreached, but it's an incredible power, it's a wonderful benefit, and it needs to be talked about in our churches. We shy away from it for some reason, but we ought not. And this power, this benefit of the gospel, this underpreached benefit of the gospel, is something that I think has a direct correlation to how we should live our lives each and every day. It would make sense of that second song that we sang, There's Victory in the Cross. There, there's no sense in that song unless we understand Romans chapter 6. So let's go ahead and let's see what this underpreached power of the gospel is that Paul is going to convey to us today. And let's make sure that we're not bought into any heresy that we ought not. Here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. Let's rock and roll. What shall we say then, says Paul? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's the point. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There is a power, there is a benefit, there is a blessing of the gospel that is not just about eternal life, but is about our life right now. And the Apostle Paul, if he was to convey one thing through chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, it's that sin has lost its power over you. It's lost it. It is no longer effective over you in Christ Jesus. And that's not just about eternal life, that's about the here and now. The sin and its effects and its power and its ability to manipulate the life of a human being has been overcome and overwhelmed by the power of Christ. Now this fits within the line of thinking that Paul's been in. Remember, we've talked the last two weeks about the power of the work of Christ Jesus, have we not? We talked last week that it is through Jesus that the great effects of human sin, the great wave of human sin throughout the centuries, is held back by the power of Christ. We talked two weeks ago of, of just all the blessings and benefits of the gospel, which include peace with God, this favorable peace by which he loves us and displays his favor upon us. We learn that we have a hope of eternal life, hope of glory. We learn that we recognize just how deeply loved we are when we accept the gospel. And finally, we learn that we've been reunited in relationship to God, the best gift of all, because he's the one who created us and loved us first, most, and best. So we're learning all the power that is in the gospel, the power that is in accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But the power, the underpreached power, of what Jesus has done when we accept the gospel is to declare right now, not in eternity, not on the day when you see Jesus, or Jesus face to face, but right now, that sin has lost its power over you. You died to it. That's what Paul's trying to get us to. It's over. Consider it a done deal. It is a done deal. Sin has lost its power over you. So he says, for those of you who might look at that power that sin once held over you and now you've been saved by Jesus because he has given you grace and forgiveness for all your sins. He said, for those of you who might look at that and keep on sinning, you gotta, you gotta screw loose. That, that's, kinda, that's not right. 
Jesus has come in and cleaned up everything for you. How disrespectful it would be for you to go back to the lifestyle in which you once lived. I was talking to a dad in the congregation. He's, in, he's got an adult kids, and he mentioned to me this week, you know, sometimes I recognize that I just had to go clean the kids' room myself. Now, that was not an admission of failure. That was just an admission of reality. Now, I, I have young children. Some of them are unable to clean their room to the point that it needs to be cleaned. Yes, they can shove the Legos into a different place. Yes, they can, they can make sure that any, any uh, spent Kleenexes are picked up off the floor. Yes, they can, they can run a vacuum cleaner in certain places. But if I really want that room clean, I need to go in and make sure it's dusted right, vacuumed right, that some kind of disinfectant spray is used on that foreign substance on the wall, nobody knows what it is, that, that we clean and we clean up the room ourselves because we recognize that they don't have the power to clean up the room themselves. Sometimes you just have to do that as a parent. Well, that's what Christ has done. He's cleaned up the room of our life because literally, like toddlers, we don't have the ability to overcome all that sin. We don't have the ability to get it all clean. So Jesus has done it. And we would say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for cleaning up the great room of my life. But how disrespectful of human beings would we have to be to go back into that freshly clean room with our fresh rock collection and put it on the floor and open up our bag of Skittles and then do a dance and let those fly everywhere and blow our nose and miss the trash can again and somehow get that foreign substance back onto the wall that nobody knows what it is and then have dirty feet that we then get in bed with our fresh sheets, we as parents would go, no way! No! I cleaned that up! You're not going to do that! In my wife's language, you've got to be kidding me! Right? That's what my wife says when we clean something, and the kids have followed her and then messed it up immediately again. Oh, you've got to be kidding me! (laughs) That's what happens. Paul says when we operate in that mentality like toddlers, and we go and clean up the room, he's got to drop us certainly not on that. That's what the Bible says. Should we have that mentality? Paul says, certainly not. What what God has cleaned up, we should be thankful for and participate with him in the power to keep it clean. Now, for all of you parents of toddlers, wouldn't that be the greatest blessing you could receive today? That, that, That your kids did not mess up after you'd cleaned up. But that's what Paul's saying. Not only that, but somehow in Christ Jesus, you have the power to keep it clean because you've died to sin. You've absolutely died to it. You said, I don't remember dying. I'll tell you where you died. For those of you who have been a victory life for, for a long time, you died down the hall in that baptismal that was in the floor of the South Sanctuary stage. For many of you who are new to Christ, you, you died right here in front of everybody in the waters of baptism. That's what Paul says. That when you were baptized, you were declaring, I'm dying to the sin that Jesus overcame on the cross. I'm dead to it now. Wash me clean, Lord, and I am in, in, in like fashion dying with you. Now, granted, I, I'm very thankful to, to God that we all don't have to symbolically hang on a cross to commiserate with the death of Christ. That would be quite the ordeal. No, Jesus in his wisdom picked something that was far easier for us to signify death by giving us baptism in water because all of us have water around us somewhere right? A river, a lake, a gross little pond, or in our case, a beautiful new baptismal purchased for you by your trustees. And so we have this opportunity to say, Jesus, I accept your death on my behalf. 
I commiserate with you. I am dying to myself. I have died to the sin that enslaved me, that held me down, that ultimately would have led to my eternal death, and I raised to new life in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. That's when you died. He says so in verse 2. He says so in verse 3. He says so in verse 4. He says so in verse 5, 6, 7, and 9. He keeps reiterating that you're dead to sin because death pays all debts, right? Nobody's knocking on your coffin telling you to pay what you forgot to pay. It's over. And sin can't knock on your coffin and say, come on, come on, because what's happened is you've raised out of that coffin, you've went a different direction. Sin is not supposed to be able to find you anymore. Because the debt to sin has been paid. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power that that Paul wants us to know that we have. Verse 4 puts it in its most succinct fashion using language that we've already talked about in chapter 5. Look at verse 4 again. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Did you see that clause, just as? Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. We talked about that word glory. That's the manifest presence of God, noted for its holiness, its righteousness, and its power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. And that gives you the power to say to sin, "Uh uh-uh, no way, not here, not now. This is the underpreached power of the gospel, that you may walk in newness of life. And I love the phrase walk because it lets us know that this isn't just about eternity, it's about right now. Walk is the word that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John and Paul uses throughout the Gospels to denote our current life, our walk. How many people know that when we're wanting to sound really spiritual, we use the word walk to describe the life of faith? My walk with Christ is well right now, thank you very much. Well, that's because it's biblical language. This is our walk. Jesus said that anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what Jesus promised in John 8, 12. That we're supposed to walk with him in a way that doesn't give itself to darkness or to sin or to to the effects of sin, but we're to walk in a newness of life by the power that is, is in the gospel, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You say, why is that good news? Why is that such good news? Why why does Paul feel the need to just lay this out for us right here? Because sin is terrible. Sin is awful. Sin is what ruins, and sin is what wrecks, and sin is what destroys. That's why it's great news. Now, I know that there was a time in each one of our life where we were operating under the other assumption. Some of us can remember a time in our life when we thought sin equals fun. Anybody there? You remember that? We thought sin would be fun. We thought restrictions were for suckers, and we thought obligations were for chumps. We didn't want to give our lives fully to Christ because we were afraid the attack, if you will, that would come on us when we began to submit our lives to Christ and say, I don't want to be a sinner anymore. We were afraid of that. We were operating under this misapprehension that sin was a good idea and sin was fun and, and sin was something that we could do to really take control of our lives and live our best life and, and, and live the way we wanted to live. And then we get a little bit older 
and we get a little bit wiser and we recognize that sin is pain. Sin hinders. Sin wrecks. Sin ruins. Sin makes us selfish and hurts relationships. Sin is what assails our emotional health, our spiritual health, our physical health. Sin attacks our peace. Sin clouds our hope. Sin helps us in many ways to hurt others and hurt ourselves. Sin stinks. It's the worst. It's our great enemy. We want no part of it anymore. Sin is what wrecks everything. It's not fun. it's It's not joy. It's not peace. It's not hope. It's not love. It's the opposite of all those things. And Paul's saying, Jesus has the power to deliver you and set you free from sin. That you're not bound up by it anymore. Look at verse 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we'd no longer be enslaved to sin. So so that the, the, the corpus of sin... The power of sin might be brought to nothing in your life. So sin's power to ruin and affect and wreck and steal and kill and destroy, that those effects of sin in your life might be brought to nothing in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is telling us today. That's the power that's in the gospel that is so often underpreached. Now I know that for some of you, you're relatively new to this church thing. You're relatively new to faith in Christ Jesus. And you're saying, Pastor Matt, you're talking about sin. What is sin? What is sin? If we were to look at it from a definition sense, or the sense of of what the Bible says that it is, the the Hebrew word, which is the the language of the Old Testament was Hebrew, is hatah, which means to miss. The, The Greek word is hamartia. That's the That's the language of the New Testament. That that also means to miss the mark. So if the mark or the standard or or that way in which we ought to live is the very center of the bullseye, to sin is to miss the mark of God's will and God's morality. That is sin. There's a positive aspect of sin and there's a negative aspect of sin. What do I mean by that? Well, James 4.17 puts it this way. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's what I would call the positive nature of sin. There's things you ought to do that you'll fail to do. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if I look at you and I give you a command of Christ, like, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's a command of Christ. So if you in no way are shining your light to a lost and a dying world, you're sinning. Oh, Pastor Matt, you're becoming a moralist today. No, I'm just being real. Just being real. That's a sin. If you're not in any way shining your light for a non-Christian to come to know Christ somewhere in your life, then you're in sin. Because James says, if you know the right and you fail to do it, it's sin. Many of you know that you should be serving in the church. That, that that's part of this Christian life, that we take care of one another and look after one another because being a Christian's tough. The Bible says in multiple places. So to fail to do it is sin. Many of you know that you ought to give generously to the things of God. To fail to do it is sin. Now, do we preach sin every week here at Victory Life? No. Do I tell you what you have to do every week? No. 
Is it my goal to try to control you? No. Is it God's desire that you hit the mark? Yes. Yes, it is. Did someone say no? I know. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing when you say things in in threes. Anyhow, it's God's desire that you hit the mark. It's God's desire that you live his way because his way is the best way. You might not always understand it, but it's for your benefit. For those of you who might want to know a little bit more about what sin is and isn't, there are five different sermons of Jesus just in the book of Matthew alone. You could spend years just reading those sermons in the book of Matthew and learning what you ought to be doing and, of course, what you ought not to do. And, of course, the Bible's pretty good with telling us what we ought not do, right? I mean, one of the most famous passages in the history of the world is the Ten Commandments, right? Prohibitions. That's the negative side. There's things we ought not do. Jesus gives us a list of things we ought not do in Mark 7. Of course, Paul gives us things that we ought not do and a full list of them in almost every epistle that he writes. Just, just one to kind of stand in for us today, one to kind of be the list that we need to see as we're defining sin. Let's just read Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It's a pretty quick one. It's the sister book of Romans. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh, or the works of sin, are evident. Sexual immorality and impurity, sensuality, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery and enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and of course, in case Paul missed anything, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's just one list from Roman sister book, Galatians. And there's multiple lists within the New Testament. If, if you really want to study this out, and I would encourage you, I didn't have time to read both of these chapters, and you're, you're taking notes today, read Colossians 3 and then Colossians 4. Colossians 3 and 4 describes the old life and then the newness of life that we're supposed to be walking in. Because that ultimately is what we're after. So let's get back to the heresy today. What is the heresy that, that, is, that is so pervasive when all we say is Jesus loves us in spite of our sin. What we've done in the modern American church is to say, hey, we are all sinners. God loves us anyways. And that's true. That's true. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But the second half of that clause literally is chapter 6. Because that came in chapter 5, right? In chapter 5, we learn that Christ loves us enough to die for us in spite of our sins. And he loved us enough that now that we're on the other side of salvation, he wants to deliver us from those sins completely and utterly. Verse 6, that the body of sin might come to nothing in your life, and my life. We can say we left it behind. We're not doing that anymore. We are living unto Christ. We are doing the things that we ought to do. And we have the power to do it. Not in ourselves, but through Jesus. Through Jesus, sin can come to nothing. Through Jesus, sin's power, its enslavement over us can be ended. That's what Christ wants for you. 
One more little proof text before we get on to the final portions of this sermon. James 5.16 tells us why we need to engage in overcoming sin. Look at what James 5.16 says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Do, do, do you see what James is implying sin is? Sin is sickness. Sin is wounding. Sin is pain. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why is it that Christ wants to overcome this sin in our lives? To heal us. To heal us. To dismiss pain and agony and suffering caused by sin left unchecked. It's not so we can all walk around going, ain't I righteous? You ought to be righteous too. Jesus hated that attitude. See any conversation he had with a Pharisee ever. Jesus hated that attitude. We don't preach against sin here in the church so we can act like we have it all together and other people don't. That's a horrible and a nasty attitude. If we preach about sin, it's because we want human beings to be healed through the power of Christ. And there's healing that takes place when we obey what we ought to do, and there's healing that takes place when we don't do that which has been prohibited by God. There's healing. There's healing there. There's healing there. The body of sin might be brought to nothing so that you'll be free, verse 6. You say, Pastor Matt, have you attained all this? I wouldn't claim to. I, wouldn't, I, I, I don't think I'd be haughty enough to look at you today and say, the body of sin has been brought to nothing in my life. Follow me as I follow Christ. I can't say that. I, I don't think I might ever say that. But let me ask you this question. Have you known a man or woman in Christ who simply walked in righteousness? Think about it. That you weren't worried about. That you knew would do the right thing over and over and over again. I have. Not just one, not just two, not just three, many who I knew had a real and living relationship with Jesus Christ that they could be counted on to do the right thing. I know people like that. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not idiosyncratic. Idiosyncrasy is not sin. And a lot of you are weird. I'm not. You are. Right? So sometimes we can look at people's idiosyncrasies and they annoy us and we count that as sin. I don't mean idiosyncrasies. I don't mean annoyances. I don't mean that. I mean truly you could count on those people to do the right thing and to refrain from doing the wrong thing. I've known dozens of Christians like this. The power of Christ has been displayed in them. And if, and if on occasion, someone would look at them and say, oh, Peter Hobart, you were sitting there, you're listening to my sermon, so Peter Hobart, Peter, boy, I don't think this lines up, man. I, I'm worried about this. You're better than that. Peter would go, oh, you're right, man. I want to do it right. You know, I, that, was, that wasn't good. I'm going to clean that up. 
They'd have the humility to exercise the power of Christ to overcome sin immediately. We've known people like that, and you've known people like that. That's how we know it works. We don't claim it for ourselves. That, that puts us in the realm of Pharisee. But what we can say is we've known people who acted that way. They acted righteously. Are you tracking with me? Have you known somebody? Nod your head if you've known somebody. But you just expect them to do the right. Some of you are like, that's still too much response, Pastor Matt, for first service. I do, but if you ask me to do anything physical before noon, it's not happening. Yes, you've known somebody. You've known somebody. Because this power is real. And it, if, it's, if it could be real for them, could it not be real for you? If it could be real for them, could it not be real for you? Now Paul says, five ways to Sunday, the same thing over and over again in this passage. So you've probably noticed I'm going concept by concept, not verse by verse. But let's close today with chapter or verses 10 and 11. And when I say close, I mean we're like nine minutes away, so don't close your Bibles and stare at me. Why didn't you quit preaching? <laughs> these are the verses we're closing with. For the death, verse 10, he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That's Jesus. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, so you have to consider it a done deal. That's what Paul's saying in verse 11. You have to consider it that way. You have to think about the sin that you currently could point out in your own life and say, it's over, it's done. It ain't happening. That, that's not anything that's going to happen anymore. You say, I've done that a million times, Pastor Matt. I, I continue to struggle. Well, we're going to talk about that on how to make it a done deal in just a minute, but you've got to consider it a done deal before you can make it a done deal. Oftentimes, my wife and I will look at our budget after a particularly busy month and we'll see all the times that we took the kids out to El Maison because it was just a busy month. And then we saw, oh yeah, and that was Chipotle night. Yep, and, and that was another night where we just did nuggets and fries for the kids and then got something more tasty for ourselves. And, and we'll see things... This, and we'll go, you know what, we've got to get this under control. Our, our budget is hurting from this. We, we ate out way too much. It's not good for our health. We want to eat at home. We have to get more discipline. And so we'll make this pact. We'll look at each other at the beginning of the month, and we will say, we will not eat out. We won't eat out personally, nor will we take the kids out. We're going to cook at home, and we're going to prep meals, and we're going to do it right, and we're going to do it. And, and, and guess what? When we make that pact, Aside from Chipotle, we do it. It's a true story. We can go a whole month, as busy as it is, and carting kids around in 19 different activities and seeing each other for a grand total of eight minutes a day. We, when we make the pact, can go a whole month without eating out. We can, because we've considered it a done deal. But here's the key. We considered it a done deal in relationship in accountability. Look at what Paul says in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's not just saying, I'm going to quit doing that. You have to come alive to the other person who is going to give you the power to overcome. You have to do this in relationship. 
And the relationship that my wife and, have, and I have for this very low-level thing is multi-layered, right? We both look at the same bank account. We both have to look at each other in the face at the end of the day. And we both have to, have to live in this place where we're accountable to one another. In the same way, when we consider ourselves dead to certain sin, we have to have multiple layers of relationship and accountability to God in order that we might consider ourselves dead to that sin. So if you just say to yourself, I'm going to stop doing this, but then you don't spend any time with the Lord, you don't spend any time in prayer, you don't spend any time in worship, you don't spend any time in church, you don't spend any time thinking about what you and God are going to be doing that day, it's probably not going to work out. But in relationship to God, we can consider things a done deal. I can make a pact with myself, but if I don't bring Gina into it, I'm not going to do it. So I'm a fallen human being, and I need accountability. In many ways, Paul's saying you consider it a done deal. When you become alive unto God, that's the power that Jesus has. When you become alive unto God, the glory that raised Jesus from the dead can come upon your mortal body and give you the ability to overcome. So what are some ways in which we can make it a done deal? Well, we've already mentioned one, to bring ourselves into accountability with the Lord, and as we come alive to God, the desire... To sin becomes less and less, and the desire to please the Lord becomes more and more. But maybe you need something just as practical this morning. Some of you should consider being baptized. You say, Pastor Matt, I've sat in church way too long, and I've called myself a Christian for way too long to embarrass myself by being baptized now. To which I would say to you, Baptism is not an embarrassment. Baptism is a boasting in the Lord. You're being proud of what Jesus has done for you. Some of you fathers need to lead your family in this. Some of, some of you teens need to go ahead and take the plunge. It's a pun. It was a pun. Some of you adults need to say, I, I need to do that. Because something physical happens that day, but... Paul's arguing that something spiritual happens there too. That you're confessing the work of Christ over your life to have power. Power to make you new. The second thing I would say in making it a done deal is very simple. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he told us some things. He told us that we should ask daily for the Lord to forgive us our trespasses and forgive those who trespass against us meaning to recognize that we are not yet perfect and we need the Lord to forgive us when we stray, forgiving others to keep us in a place of humility. And then look at the next clause. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Consider it a done deal, but then do the things that Jesus has already taught you to do. That... that each and every day, to, we should consider it a done deal. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. When I'm tempted to be selfish, when I ought to be generous, Lord, deliver me from evil. When I'm tempted to do something I ought not that'll hurt the relationships in my life, deliver me from evil. Lord, help me each and every day. By your power, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You got all the power, Lord. 
And you've got the power to deliver me from evil and to help me to flee from temptation. And that puts us right back in the category of considering it a done deal by being alive to God. Saying, God, you do have the power, and I need you to exercise that power today. And then, my brothers and sisters, one last word of application. Some of you are in this place today, and you do feel defeated. Because you are alive unto God. You are someone who spends time in his presence. But there is something that's holding you back. Something that's making you feel defeated. And you don't know what to do about that. Because you go, I I, want to overcome, but I just have not been able to, and I don't understand the key that unlocks the door. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Some of you read that up on the screen today and you say, Nuh-uh, no way, no how. If I would have to humble myself to that level to be delivered, I'm out. But the Bible doesn't make a great big deal out of this. It just assumes that we'd be humble enough to look at another Christian brother or sister and say, I'm really struggling with something and can you pray for me? Because I'm told through the scripture that the prayer of a righteous person has great power when it's at work. Some of you just need to be prayed for today. And I'm not saying that today is the day that you're fully delivered. I'm not even going to get into the question of whether this process of overcoming sin is progressive or instantaneous. But I would ask some of you today, who told you that the Lord couldn't deliver you? Who told you that he doesn't have the power to help you overcome even today? Who told you that the mighty right arm of God is weak? I just wonder. Sometimes our baby steps need to be replaced by the power of God with a giant leap. And the prayer of a righteous person is mighty at its working. So today I ask you, how are you going to make it a done deal? Because Jesus wants to display this power in your life. He wants to display his might to help you overcome sin. Are you going to push the Legos into the corner and say, Lord, I've got it? Or are you going to invite Christ in and say, I don't have it, I need you? Deliver me. Let us be people who say, Jesus, I want the body of sin to come to nothing in the way that you promise. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? And for just a few moments in this place, we're going to make Victory Life Church a house of prayer. And I would invite you and ask you not to make the next few minutes a spectator sport but with heads bowed and eyes closed. What do you need to ask of the Lord today? 
and as our elders and pastors make their way to the four corners of the room, is there anybody here that would say, Pastor Matt, I would love for the prayer of a righteous person to be prayed over me today. I need someone to pray over me. I feel defeated, and I need somebody to add their faith to mine. If that's you today with heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you just stand up right from your seat and go receive prayer today? Don't live in that defeat any longer. You don't have to spill your guts. You don't have to say every deep, dark secret of your heart. But you may just need to say, can you pray for me? I want to overcome. If that's you, this is between you and God, but I encourage you, humbling yourself today before the Lord and asking for prayer is elementary to the faith. So if you need prayer today, why don't you stand right now? And why don't you move? Why don't you ask someone to pray for you? For those of you remaining seated today, I trust the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And if you want the power of Christ to be exercised over you in a way that you can overcome sin, ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do that your power might be displayed? How can I get out of the way so that you can flood in? Ask him, he'll tell you. How can I come alive unto you? I'm gonna shout 
now that I've found victory. Let's stand and sing that one more time. There's victory. There's victory in the cross. Yes, there is. I'm breaking free. All my chains are gone and I will sing till my lungs give out. I'm gonna shout now that I've found victory. AJ said one more time, but I want us to sing that bridge in honor of Christ one more time together. And you say, well, don't you have to go back into the chorus? I don't know. I'm not a musician. But let's declare that by the power of Christ over our lives today. Maybe some of you for the first time. Sin has no hold. Sin has no hold on me. Sin has no hold on with a thankful heart. Sin has no hold on me. We praise you, Lord. Thank you. Sin has no hold. Oh, we declare it to you. We thank you, Lord. Sin has no hold on me. We are free. Sin has no hold on me. Sin has no hold on me no more. Sin has no hold on me. And now you know that next time you sing, sin has no hold on me, you're singing part of the gospel. You're singing part of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you that sin has no hold on us. Make that power effective in each one of our lives. Heal us, Lord, and we shall be healed. We pray all these things in your matchless name. Amen. God bless you.